Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ages for Human, the podcast that centers on the human in HIV. Each episode brings you content on the human side of research, health, well-being, and community. The Ages for Human is sponsored by the legacy project of the Office of HIV-AIDS Network Coordination, HANC. My name is Pedro Goicochea, and I will be your host today. And in this episode of the Ages for Human, we are delighted to have Dr. Michelle Andrasik, a social scientist working with one of the most important research organizations conducting investigation to find a safe and effective vaccine for the prevention of HIV. Hello, Michelle. Thank you for making the time to share some of the important work you are doing on the discovery of a vaccine to prevent HIV infection. How are you doing today? I'm good, Pedro. How are you doing? I am doing really well, and I'm very excited to have you in this episode of the Ages for Human to talk about HIV vaccines. Maybe we can start with a brief introduction so people know who Dr. Andrasik is. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm a clinical health psychologist. I've been here at the HIV Vaccine Trials Network, or the HVTN, for about 12 years now. I lead our social and behavioral science program and our community engagement program. So what is the HIV Vaccine Trials Network? So basically, we are one of the NIAD funded, and NIAD is the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. It's one of the institutes under the NIH, with the, which is the National Institutes of Health. We are funded specifically with the mission of finding an HIV vaccine. In March of 2020, we were asked to pivot our attention to the COVID-19 Prevention Network or the COVPN in partnership with several other government, private and public partners helped usher through the COVID-19 vaccines that were the Moderna, the Janssen, AstraZeneca, Sanofi and Novavax. Really interesting to know that the HVTN was also involved in the evaluation of COVID-19 vaccines. But going back to HIV vaccines, is the HIV Vaccine Trials Network the only institution that does research on HIV vaccines? No, there are other organizations that do it. Some are commercial organizations, and there are organizations outside of the country that do HIV vaccine research, but we are the largest around the world that does HIV vaccine research. And what kind of vaccine studies is the HVTN currently conducting? We have an efficacy trial, the Mosaico trial, which is winding down. It's almost fully enrolled, and that really is looking at a combination of products for an HIV vaccine. And then we have a series of phase one studies that are currently enrolling or in the pipeline to enroll. And there are many of those. Some of them are looking at proteins. Some of them are looking at using mRNA, the technology that was used for the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. So there are just a ton of phase one studies coming down the pipe. Currently, no efficacy trials in the pipeline. Phase one studies, phase three efficacy trials, it sounds like a long process. 
I recall that back in 1984, at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, Dr. Margaret Hackler, then the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, announced that an HIV vaccine was going to be available in two years. That announcement was done 38 years ago. Why is it so challenging to find an HIV vaccine? Well, that's a great question. HIV is a very complex virus. It mutates, which makes it even more challenging. But I think for me, the thing that resonates is that for HIV, there is not one human being that has ever cleared HIV on their own. And usually when you're doing vaccine research, you're looking at how the human body naturally clears an infection. And then you try to replicate that and teach the body how to do that. That's what the vaccine is doing, teaching the body how to protect from severe disease progression, how to protect from being infected, all of those things. And we usually have something to model that on, and we don't. So we're trying to figure out what works. And over the last 30 years, we have found out a lot about what doesn't work and what might work. So there are programs that we have in place in our phase one pipeline. They're called the XMED program, which really is a series of phase one trials that are looking at some more innovative approaches to vaccine products. So that's where we are right now because all of our efficacy trials, and again, those are the trials that are looking to see if the vaccine actually works, have not shown efficacy. One trial showed limited efficacy, but we are constantly looking for new approaches and hopeful that we will find something. I don't think it will be in two years, and I'm remiss to say how long it will be because it is a challenging virus. Michelle, you are a behavioral and social scientist, and I wonder what does behavior and social sciences have to do with HIV vaccine development? Well, we need to know how to assess whether or not someone is likely to come into contact with HIV, what their HIV vulnerability is, because often in our efficacy trials, which are also called phase three trials, those are looking to see if our vaccine product actually works. We generally want to recruit people who have higher vulnerability to HIV, either because of their social context or their partners or whatever the case may be. It's generally because of the social context that they are in. We need to know how to assess that and be able to measure whether or not they are appropriate for a phase three or more appropriate for a phase one, which is the first in human studies that are looking for individuals who have lower vulnerability for HIV. What is the role of the community in the development of an HIV vaccine? The community is critical because without the community, we could not move the science forward. First of all, the participants in the trials are the reasons why we can do the trials and we can obtain the data and move the science forward. We have community members on our protocol teams 
that review the protocols, review our informed consent forms to make sure that they are accessible and that nothing that we're doing is going to create barriers or insurmountable challenges for the participants. Our community advisory boards, which all of our sites have, are incredibly instrumental in really creating a bridge between our clinical research sites and the larger community, bringing back community issues and challenges, letting the sites know what's going on in the community so that we can show up and participate and be part of. So the community is really central to all the work that we do across the network. What are the current challenges that HIV vaccine research faces in engaging communities in the research process? One of the challenges is the question that you asked before, like, why don't we have a vaccine? Don't we already have a vaccine? Isn't there a cure for HIV? So we get those questions a lot. And that's connected to the second challenge, which is that HIV, especially in this country, the U.S., is largely seen as not a problem. We go out into communities and we talk about HIV and they're like, wait, HIV is still a problem? I thought that there was a cure for that or I thought that that was no longer a problem or that's only a problem someplace else. So the lack of attention, the lack of urgency around HIV, even when it is still a pandemic, creates a lot of challenges. And in my mind, the biggest challenge is HIV stigma. You know, we recently looked at some of the negative impacts of participating in our trials, and the most common negative impact experienced by participants in our trials is the stigma that they receive from the community, from their friends and family when they find out that they're in a trial wondering, why would you be in an HIV trial? Are you living with HIV? What's going on with you? Sort of judging their behavior, judging their character for participating in a trial. So there's a great deal of HIV stigma that is still pervasive across communities around the world. And that really creates a huge barrier to participation and it creates challenges for our participants who are in the trials. In early 2021, you wrote an article presenting the success in enrolling diverse racial and ethnic minorities in the different COVID-19 vaccine trials conducted in the United States. And then I wonder, why is diversity important in clinical research? There are several reasons why diversity is important. Our research has to be for everyone. And our communities are diverse, so we need to ensure that we are including people in our communities that match the diversity of our communities. And that, to me, really is like the low bar, because if you look at HIV, HIV disproportionately impacts specific communities, particularly gay and bisexual, Latinx, Latino, Latina, and Black MSM, and American Indian, Alaska Native individuals. So if we were like to look at a gold standard, really the participation in our trials should match the impact that HIV has 
on specific communities. And I also think that being in a clinical trial gets people more connected to research and really piques their interest in where the science is going, provides information that they can take back to their communities. And it also, what I've seen is that people in our trials develop really positive relationships with our clinical research staff. And we're talking about communities that generally don't have positive relationships, enduring connections with healthcare providers. So one of the things that makes me really happy about being in this line of work is that I see the connection that our providers make with our participants. And my belief is that it really gives people a better perspective of the medical system and patient-provider relationships where they may not have had those before. And those are just a few of the examples. I think that the more people can be involved in clinical research, the more they see it as something that they are a part of and that they have some ownership in, the more likely we are to see people show up for the research. During COVID, we had the opportunity to create a registry in the U.S. where people from all walks of life could just sign up for the registry and then a site near them based on their zip code could contact them. And it really resulted in incredible diversity in our COVID trials. That and all of our community engagement efforts and based on that, we have partnered with the company that helped us with that registry in COVID, and now they've created a red ribbon registry for our HIV trials so that people can go to www.helpandhiv um, and sign up for the registry. So it's simple, it's easy, and then sites can get back to them. Do you think that the Red Ribbon Register will be able to ensure the participation of diverse populations and vulnerable groups in HIV research? We do have people on the ground who are connecting with individuals. People need to see things multiple times or hear of things multiple times. And when they are engaging with our community educators, on the street or at a fair or whatever the case may be, that may not be the time when they're ready to sign up. They may need to go and look at more information. So what the Red Ribbon Registry does is it allows for people to sign up at any time. So maybe they've talked to the community educator at a fair and then they see the Red Ribbon Registry a week or two weeks later on some social media or some flyer somewhere and they're like, oh yeah, I remember I spoke to that person at Pride or wherever maybe. Let me check this out. That sounded really interesting. So it just provides an opportunity for people to engage whenever they want to engage. Whereas just meeting someone on the street, that may not be the opportune time for them to sign up or they may not be ready and have to think about it a little more or get more information. So, for those of you who are interested in learning more about HIV vaccines and want to help make a difference in the prevention of HIV, 
visit www.helpinghiv.org where you will find information on HIV vaccine research and how can you join an HIV vaccine trial if you are interested in doing so. And finally, Michelle, there has been confusion in the community in the United States as well as abroad with regards to injectable pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV prevention and HIV vaccines. I can see the confusion. They are both injections that help prevent HIV acquisition. Can you help us clarify the difference between these two HIV prevention approaches? You'd be able to get a vaccine maybe once or twice, and that would prevent infection for the long term. Injectable PrEP is really utilizing HIV medications to prevent acquisition, and you have to get an injection every couple of months which would not be the case with a vaccine. So the vaccine is really something that would be more long-term. And for many, I think the thing with a vaccine is that not every option out there works for everyone. A vaccine would hopefully be more accessible to more individuals. We've seen a lot of challenges with PrEP rollout and it'll be interesting to see how we address some of those challenges. A vaccine would be one more tool in the toolbox for HIV prevention. Thank you for that explanation. As you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, a vaccine teaches the body how to defend itself from the virus, and this mechanism is more long-term, whereas injectable PrEP acts directly on the virus, thus the injection requires of a more frequent administration. Michelle, it has been a pleasure and an honor to have you in this episode of The Age is for Human. I am sure our audience will enjoy this interview as much as I did. Do you have any final remarks for our audience? Yeah, just check out www.helpandhiv. If you'd like to get more information, we have a wealth of information on there for anything you'd like to know about HIV vaccines, HIV vaccine research is on there. And I really appreciate you inviting me here today, Pedro. Thank you for joining us today, Michelle. And to our audience, please stay tuned for another episode of Age is for Human. Do not forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your acquaintances, colleagues, friends, and family. And with me, it will be until next time in a new episode of Age is for Human the podcast that centers on the human in HIV.